And welcome back to the Inverter Whistle Podcast. I'm Scott Bach Hansen, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Adam Brick. And Adam, I can't believe we finally made it to episode number four. Me neither. So we're pretty excited about this uh, this week's episode. Uh, the theme for this week is really going to focus on, you know, the importance of what's what's going on in your life, and you know, making sure that we take uh, good care of our families and our friends. And really put this avocation or hobby of basketball officiating in its right perspective. So, um, I think one of the things that that I really like about this time of year is just being able to to interact with coaches outside of being on the basketball court, um, and understanding that you know they're human too, and and you know we need to look at maybe having uh, better relationships with them as well as the players, and really understanding the importance of, of empathy and what they're going through. So. I don't know, Adam, you want to share your thoughts on that? No, I think that continues to be uh, a very main focus of what we're talking about, that we as officials have to put ourselves in the position of what it's like to be coaches and players. They invest a lot of emotional time into their sport, and when coaches and players get a little frustrated during games, particularly when they get frustrated at themselves or a teammate, uh, we need to understand that and perhaps – We need to count to five before we decide how we're going to deal with that. Um, Time and circumstance matter. And if you're going to get to the point where you're contemplating a technical foul, you need to ask yourself one very important question. Will a technical foul help the game? Uh, And in many cases, particularly for me, it's usually no, it won't. Um, And you need to find a different way to deal with it. And I think the way to do that is to be empathetic. Um, Hopefully that's a two-way street that coaches and officials Uh, have a better relationship, and coaches and players have an understanding of what we go through. And I think the holiday tournaments give us that opportunity. We do get to see coaches uh, in hospitality rooms. Um, It's a different interaction that we have with them than on the court, and I think it's something that adds a little bit more humanness to our relationships. Um, That being said, I think we want to bring you right now an interview that we were fortunate enough to, to tape earlier this week with Tim Comer, who's been a longtime collegiate official. Um, We apologize in advance for the uh, technical difficulties during that interview, but as many of you know, there's a lot of modern technology out there, uh, but we don't have any of it. So here you go with the interview with Tim Comer. All right. Well, as we mentioned, we have a special guest with us today on the Inadvertent Whistle podcast, and we're, we're really excited to be joined by a good friend of ours, uh, Tim Comer. Tim's from Luray, Virginia, and has been refereeing college basketball since uh, 1990. Tim and I actually go way back and have had a lot of wars over the years. We, we've had some bench-clearing brawls and some snowstorms and schools that wouldn't pay us, and that might have been all in the same night. So, um, Tim, first of all, thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, Can you give us a little background on, on your college officiating career and, and where it's taking you and where you're at today? Sure, sure. Well, uh, thank you guys for having me. Um, I appreciate you uh, having me on. And uh, um, as far as my background, um, you know, as we discussed before, we we, we chatted a little before, but uh, I actually got my start when I was in uh, in college. I took an officiating class, and uh, um, part of that officiating class was you worked the intramural program, and we did everything from softball to uh, flag football uh, to the basketball. And so I kind of got my feet wet and uh, and enjoyed uh, the officiating part of it and uh, made a little uh, little pocket change for, for a college student and because uh, uh, they were paying us like three bucks per game, so it was a little uh, weekend money. And uh, uh, when I would come home for... Uh, Christmas break, I would uh, officiate. I was signed up uh, and registered through our high school, and I was doing uh, some some high school games, uh, junior varsity level, um, middle school games, things like that. And once I got out of uh, uh, college, graduated from college, I, I went right to uh, a tryout uh, for the ODAC, uh, Old Dominion Athletic Conference. It's a Division three based mainly out of uh, the state of Virginia, but they have some North Carolina schools as well. And uh, uh was fortunate enough to be picked up and uh, um, 
from there, I just started gaining experience, getting around uh, more experienced officials and trying to uh, um, just soak in and learn as much as I could, um, you know, uh, from those guys as to, you know, how to take care of business, take care of situations, handle coaches, uh, everything that goes along with the officiating part. Um, also went into uh, ODAC baseball, but uh, it was I was there for one year, and it was you know March games in uh, uh, in February games in in the uh, state of Virginia is not uh, uh, it's, it's 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 kind of a tough gig, and I was I enjoyed the basketball more, um, no matter you know the level of play. There's always a clock on it. You know when the end's coming. If you get two guys that can't throw balls across the plate, you could be out there all day, and we were freezing to death. So I'd, I had to pick one way or another, so I went with, with basketball. I think I think I made the right decision on that on that line. Yeah, I'd say so. And, and so now, if I'm right, if I have my, my years right, you've been working league games in the ACC for the last uh, seven, eight seasons. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct, yeah. Um, my my progress um, has been on the the kind of steady. I never, you know, guys that that officiate they uh, they advance at different rates. Some guys they come on the scene and and they just take off immediately. Mine has been uh, slow but steady. Um, every year, you know, my my schedule seems to uh, uh, to increase. Um, you know, as far as um, the the quality of games, the number of games, the number of games I've kind of topped out at, um, but the uh, but the quality of games seems to uh, uh, seems to get better, and you know that's that's what I go into each season. You know, I strive to just enhance my schedule and uh, my status from year to year, and I was one of the guys that just each year, you know, kind of advanced. And but it was slow and steady, um, so it's you know it it, it 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 works differently, and I don't know uh, nobody knows the reason as to why, uh, but you know it just happens differently for for different officials. So so Tim, put your uh, to share with some of our particularly our younger officials who are listening. How do you deal with the fact that your progression? has been different and at the time when you were younger was going to be different than the guy next to you on the right and the guy next to you on the left. How do you prepare yourself for that? I'll tell you, Adam, when I first started, I got too wrapped up into the guy on the left, what he's doing, the guy on the right, what he's doing, and it was just driving me crazy. And, you know, after I was about four or five years in, uh, to the to the college game, I just said, you know, I can't I can't do anything about what official A or official B, what they're doing, what they're getting. I need to take care of what I can take care of, and that's me. And so, you know, um, you know, just hopefully uh, things fall right. And you know, I was just trying to do the best that I could, get my plays right. Uh, work well with my crews, um, do the thing, right things off the uh, off the court. You know, a, a big thing uh, you can't go into, uh, and as well as you guys know, you can't go into locker rooms and, and start complaining about your supervisor. You can't complain about what other guys are getting as far as their schedule. Or I was with this guy and this play happened. You, you know, that's that's not a uh, a blueprint for success. You start doing that, you're just going to drag yourself down. So basically, when I go in each night, I try to just do the best that I can. You're there for two hours, you know, and so just concentrate, focus for, for the two hours that you're there, and then go on about your way and do the right things off the court. If I was always one that if, if you know, if we can travel together, um, you know, I, I like to hook up with my partners. If we can go out and, and have dinner afterwards, and and it, and it doesn't always work out because guys have different schedules. But you know, I think that's part of it. And just being able to get along with people, um, I think it helps. You know, the overall uh, makeup of, of of what you're doing as an official. You know, uh, Tim, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you uh, in a little bit 
to share a couple of stories. One story that you don't know I'm interested in is just you talk about traveling, and uh, you've got a really funny story about going on an airplane ride over a mountain one time that I'm going to ask you to, to touch on. But kind of following up on Adam's question, you've worked for a bunch of different guys, you know, that have different backgrounds. You've got former coaches. You've got former players. You've got uh, now a retired official in Brian Kersey. Even uh, referee for a retired Marine. Can you kind of give us some insight in what it's like to work for different kinds of guys and and how that's helped you develop as an official as well? Well, each each night that you go out, you have to know who you're working for, and a lot of guys have um, preferences as to how they want the game officiated, or or they have. Um, um, pet peeves that you, you know, you don't, you don't do. The coverage is everything basically the same, but there are certain things that 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 um, supervisors look for, and you just you need to, as they say, when in Rome, do what the Romans are doing. So, um, you know, you need to to know what the uh, what the expectations of each supervisor, uh, what what they are, and and just do the best you can to um, to adhere to those uh, those expectations. Hey, Tim, if I can go back to something you, you said right at the beginning when you talked about when you were coming up the first couple of years, one of the things you realized was needing to learn from some of the, the veterans, some of the other guys who, who you looked up to. Can you expand a little bit upon that for some of our younger officials on how you do that? Um, sure. Um, there's, there's not, as I said before, um, different guys advance at different rates. And, but there's not one single, uh, official out there that has gone on their own and, and just made it, you know, to the top of the list. Everybody that has officiated and has advanced and, and progressed in their career has had help from someone. Um, and I was fortunate enough when I came along, you know, I've, I've, I've had a lot of help from guys like Mike Eads, uh, Brian Kersey, Jamie Lucky, uh, Les Jones, just to name a few. There's, there's, there's many more, and I know I'm leaving out some names, but uh, those are the guys that, that impacted me uh, along the way. And a lot of it, Adam, was just, you know, when you're on the floor uh, working with these guys during a, during a media timeout, you know, they, you know, they would just give you just little tidbits. If you if you close down in the lead, I think you're going to get a better look at that play, um, or or we need a whistle from you on that on that play, or 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 you know maybe maybe you expanded a little bit too much. Uh, you you just trust your uh, trust your partner on that play. Let him live and die with that play. It was just things things along those lines. In addition to, you know, as you advance the the, the travel. Is, is a big part of it. And that, you know, you go from, you know, driving to and from games to all of a sudden now you're dealing with, with planes and, and buses and, and trains and rental cars and things like that. You know, um, I had um, a, a little bit of a base there that I could I could tap into and just contact those guys and say, hey, you know, where do you stay when you go to this town? How, you know, how do you, how do you get around this town? So, um, you know, it was it was just a learning process, not only during the game, but even you know off the court as well. Well, this might be a good time to segue into the the story I was going to ask you to talk about. Uh, you know, you talk about travel, and Tim and I had a game one night at Davis and Elkins, which is normally a three hour drive from where where we would normally meet in Strasburg and cut across and. We met, and it took us seven and a half hours, and we got there 20 minutes before tip. Um, and that was a usual story for working in the West Virginia Conference. But Tim has a very uh, unique story about uh, one of one of the guys that was out in that league had a hobby of flying airplanes, uh, a gentleman named by the Ru- name of Rusty Acre. And Rusty Acre um, was getting his pilot license and, and uh, had a conversation with Tim about flying to a game once. So, Tim, you want to? Maybe give us a quick five minute on that one. Sure. Um, yeah, that was 
Um, I've been in the ODAC for a couple of years. Um, I, saw, I met John Holt, who was the supervisor of the uh, uh, West Virginia Conference. And it was my first year in the league. And uh, John, he was definitely a disciplinarian. He was he was a former Marine, and it was it was no nonsense. So I, I worked for him, and you know I'm, I'm doing pretty well in this league. And it comes down to the last Saturday of the of the regular season, so I'm pretty much I'm, my season is winding down. And I had this game with uh, Rusty Acre, and Rusty calls and says, "Hey Tim," he said. You want to fly to this game? And I said, Well, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I've never done that before. He said, Well, he said we'll split it. He said we'll make. He said it'll cost us 75 bucks a piece. I think we were making 125. So I said, Well, I'll stick 50 in my pocket. So, and I was tired, and I was just ready for it to end. And and, uh, and uh, so we decided we would we would fly out. And so we get to the airport. Luray Airport, it's a little regional, and uh, it's this little single-engine plane. And so the wind is, is howling that day, and, and so we're we're ready to take off. And Rusty says, you know, I don't know if we can fly today. It's it's too windy. And I said, man, if we, if we drive now, that we're not going to make it. We won't even make it by halftime. I said, we're going to get fired from this league. It's our first year in this league, and we're going to get fired. we got to go. So he says, okay, we'll, we'll give it a shot. So we, we take off. We, we get up in the air, and we're not up in the air five minutes. And he said, he looks over, and he says, uh, Tim, he said, uh, we're in trouble. I said, what do you mean we're in trouble? He said, oh, we're not going down. He said, but we're fighting a headwind. He said, we're not gaining any ground. He said, look down. And sure enough, we were just kind of just staying put. And so... Then the, we started dropping. It was the, it, we would hit wind pockets, and and we we would drop, you know, a uh, hundred feet at a time. And and it was just the, the the my headphones had gone around the front of my face. I was trying to see. It was it was just a mess. And we get over. And so we finally, we we fight our way through the wind, and we get there, and we're at Glenville State, and uh, um, the head coach there was uh, Don Nottingham, and. Uh, he was there. They were playing West Virginia Tech, and Nottingham had later gone on, and he was an assistant out of Illinois. And so when I see him, even to this day, we still laugh about it. But uh, at the time, it wasn't funny. So I, we get there, and the game's tough, and they're going at it, and Nottingham's just going. He's incensed over some plays. And we, quite honestly, we weren't very good in the game, and and. The game wasn't going well. It was physical, a lot of bodies, and I don't know how they got there. It was just a tough game. And so he was over during a free throw, and he was. And so I went over, and I switched, and I went to him. And I told him, I said, Coach Nottingham, I said, I'm going to tell you one thing. I said, I damn near died getting to this game. I said, I was on a single-engine plane. We almost went down. And I said, and to make matters worse, I've got to get back on that plane after this game. So if you think I care who wins this game, who doesn't win this game, uh, you got another thing coming. And he just he he kind of smiled at me and he said, Tim, he said, he said it's all good. Don't say another word. He said you're fine. And so we ended up finishing the game. It took us two and a half hours to fly out fighting the headwind, and we flew back out uh, with the tailwind. I made it home in 45 minutes. And then we, we we get in and we touch down, and Rusty has the gall to look at me and say, "Well, that wasn't too bad." <laughs> well, I tell you what, never again. That's the and that's the last time I've ever been in one of those planes. <laughs> hey, 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 Tim, with with the extra fifty bucks you were gonna make, did you buy additional life insurance before you guys took off? <laughs> we I bought beer on the way back to the airport. Is what I bought. <laughs> That, that, that's, and honestly, that's one of my all-time favorite stories. And, and I think there was even a point where he told you that you might have to to lighten the luggage load, and you would have had to throw your referee back out. I'm telling you, it was it, it was out. it was a bad trip. It was a bad trip. And, and as you touched on earlier, it's no joke in the state of West Virginia with the with the snow. They get snow, and they get they get it heavily, and it comes in in 
in a short period of time. So it's it was some treacherous, treacherous uh, uh, travel in that league. Is and you and I we've made some trips together before, and it, it's it was just uh, uh, you always had to keep an eye on what the weather forecast was over there. Well, and and, and Tim, I got to tell you that that story is a perfect segue into. You know what? Where our theme is this week is we're looking at. You know, we really just need to count our blessings, and and um, you know, I, I'm going through an injury situation right now. We talked earlier about another friend that's going. His season's over. Um, you know, Adam and I have both had injuries on the court. Uh, I'm sure you've had your share as well. But just to count our blessings and have empathy for what everybody else is going through, and I, I think it's a really good time. Um, to talk about one of the main reasons we wanted to talk to you today, uh, besides you know our other questions and, and, and that kind of story. But recently, uh, a few weeks back, I was sitting at home, and I turned the TV on, and uh, I was just looking to see if I recognized anybody, in that, and I saw you working this game at NC State, and I thought, oh, well, I'll, just, I'll just watch Comer for a little bit. And uh, they were playing in uh, South Carolina State, and there wasn't much going on. And uh, there was a commercial. I flipped the channel. I came back and noticed that uh, the game had stopped. And there was a situation where, and, and many people know about this now, one of the South Carolina State guards was on the bench and went into cardiac arrest. And you worked that game, I believe, with Les Jones and Burt Smith. And, and, you know, just watching that live on TV was mesmerizing. And... You know, we hear about all the things that the, these great trainers did, and, and rightfully so, and, and the medical staff and the coaches. But I thought I'd ask um, what, it was, what it was like for you guys as officials, and if you can take us in to that entire scene from from start to finish and what you were dealing with not only on the court but in the locker room. And, you know, your wife was with you. Um, you know, can you kind of lay us the, the – the, the land of that story and, and, and share with us what it was like from the eyes of an official that were, that were standing there. Yeah. When, you know, you, you hear all the time, you hear people say, you know, tomorrow's not promised and live each day to its fullest. And, you know, you, you, you hear that and you kind of take that for granted. And then when you see uh, what happened during that game, when you see that, and, and you're a part of that. I mean, it hits home, and it's 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 really uh, um, it was it was really moving, and it was it was emotional, and it was it was as tough as any situation. I mean, we talk about um, you know games and, and and plays that we have and situations, but I've never gone through anything like that um, before. And hope that I never do again. It's just it was it was just a hard uh, process to watch. Um, you know, we were we were actually tending to an injury to an NC State uh, player. Um, he came down awkward uh, on on his left leg and he went over and his his knee was hurting. So we stopped the game and he hobbled over to uh, the scorer's table. And he just he, he laid he laid down on the on the floor and the uh, and the trainers came over and they were tending to uh, uh, to him and he was um, he was down maybe you know two three minutes and uh, and the trainers were working on him and so they got him on his feet and they they got him off the court and I turned to the South Carolina State coach and I said coach I said we're ready to resume play and he says okay and then. I turned my back and I just heard him yell, "Oh no!" And you know, when I did, I turned around and and this young man was on the floor. I mean, he was flat on his back. And immediately, uh, the South Carolina State uh, trainer uh, began uh, um, doing CPR, and they were they were they were pumping his chest. And, and uh, um, Les Jones, who who was my partner. He was across the floor and was going to uh, he was he was going to administer the throw in. He was looking at it. He saw the young man go down. So immediately he came over and uh, 
and he was screaming to the PA guy, announce for a doctor. Is there a doctor that can that can help? And so they, they did the announcement. And uh, um, some of the uh, NC State uh, trainers, they got to him. And they worked on him. He was down for, uh, it seemed like an eternity. But uh, it was it was quite some time. And uh, and he was down, and and you know, of course the uh, his teammates were around, his his coaches, assistant coaches, uh, some of their fans were right there around, and they were really starting to get emotional because I I, I think they were they were seeing that they were losing this uh, young man, and uh, you know so so they ended up getting the uh, uh, the paddles on him and they they shocked him. And when they when they hit him a couple of times with those the, the defibrillators, um, he he seemed to raise his head up, but then he went back down. And uh, but he did show some signs of life to where, where he, he was at least able to lift his head. And that was the first time he had moved since he had gone down. So um, you know, it, nobody really knew what to do. I mean, you you can imagine that there was. Maybe sixteen thousand people in the uh, in the arena, and you could have heard a pin drop. I mean, it was it was just it was just quiet. And um, other than than you know the people that were upset, they were crying, and you could hear that throughout the arena. And uh, it was it was really a tough situation. And um, so you know we got together with the uh, with the coach for NC State. We didn't know whether we would continue the game. Whether we would just suspend the game or just call it off, um, and so you know uh, they 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 get the young man onto uh, um, onto the uh, uh, stretcher, and they're they're taking him to the hospital. Obviously, the head coach goes with him, and so the assistant says, "Can you give us uh, Can you give us ten minutes? Let me go in, talk to the team, and." Uh, and uh, just you know, let it, let me get a feel. He said, just just give us about ten minutes, and we'll we'll, we'll make a decision. We said, you do whatever you want, uh, take as much time as you want, and whatever you decide is fine. And so we we all went into the locker rooms. Uh, NC State went in, South Carolina State went in, and we went into our our own separate locker rooms. And so you know, immediately getting in there. I mean, we were already uh, uh, contacted by our supervisor, uh, Brian Kersey, you know, and basically he was just, he was touching base just to see if we were all okay and, uh, you know, just basically just to, to to support us and reinforce us and just said, you know, whatever they want to do, whatever they just do what they want to do. And so I immediately, you know, my wife, like you said, my wife was in the stands, um, and I just contacted her because during this whole process, I look look up and she's just she's sobbing, and uh, you know, and I just text her, I said, "You okay?" She said, "Yes." She said, "I don't understand. I don't I don't know this young young person." And I said, "Well, this is not something that you you know somebody that you know. I said, this is just a human thing. You see this, and I mean, you're just reacting." And so, you know, uh, right after that, I, I just, you know, basically texted, texted my, my two boys, and uh, it was just just a touch base with them. I'd been on the road for a couple of weeks and, and was supposed to be home um, the next day. And just, you know, basically I just told them I loved them and was, was looking forward to spending time with them. So... We were we were in the locker room and uh, uh, the security they knocked on the uh, on the door and said that they decided that they wanted to uh, continue. That the, the the players said that uh, uh, the the young man's name was uh, Ty Solomon and they said that Ty would uh, want them to uh, continue this game. So we came back out and uh, and we resumed the game and. Uh, it was just it was it was a difficult uh difficult i mean my mind was not there um my partners 
that you know it was just it was surreal and the the fans you know there was no there was really no cheering or anything it was almost like working a scrimmage and it was just uh you know it was it was really difficult and that was this happened at 1308 of the first half so we went ahead and finished the first half went in for for halftime and then you know, we come back out for the second half, and and during the media timeout for the second half, they made uh, they made an announcement in the arena that uh, that he was at the hospital, that that Ty was at the hospital. He had uh, he had been uh, uh, stabilized, and he was he was up, and he was he was communicating. So, you know, that was like a breath of fresh air, but still. At that point, your mind is is gone. It was hard to really get back and, and focus on the, uh, uh, you know, on on the task at hand, and uh, you know that went for everybody. I mean, NC State's players were affected. I mean, they were just you know during during the media timeouts, they would break out early and they would come there, and we would just stand there during the timeouts and we would just talk to each other, you know. And it was just I don't know, it was uh, uh, it was quite an experience. Hey, Tim, what I say to you is you guys did focus on the task at hand. You focused on the task of being humans. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's, that's all right? we could you do were, at that time. So You were empathetic to each other and the fans and, and, and your family and, and the teams were, and so you guys did exactly what you should have done. You were you were human beings. You weren't basketball officials. Correct, correct. It was, uh, um, and, and like you said, Adam, it was that was across the board. That was that was the fans, the coaches, and uh, you know at at that point the, the the game really didn't didn't matter. I mean we we played it and 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 we got through it and we finished it, but that was that was the furthest thing from from everybody's mind at that point. You know, and, and Tim, you know, uh, just the team running back out on the court. The, the, the tingles it gave you as you watched this was was on TV was amazing. I'm sure in person it was it was unreal as well. And not a lot of young officials really understand this. But once you get to you know especially the college level, um, we as officials become really uh, connected with the athletic training staffs. You know they're we we we're in there getting treatment before games um, and sometimes during games and after games. And you get to know these these athletic trainers, and um, you know it just goes to show you that you know in the time of crisis, the right people are there, and then um, you know we should get to know the trainers at the high school level, if nothing else, just by name, so that they they we can humanize them because not a lot of people humanize us, and uh, sometimes we need to work together on things. So, um, Adam, you got any, any other follow-up questions for Tim? No, I just want to uh, thank you, Tim, for spending this time with us today and uh, wish you and your family the best in the new year and stay healthy and do the best you can to get a couple of calls right. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, um, thanks for your time and, and, and what you're doing, and uh, um, happy holidays to, to you and your families. That's awesome. Well, Tim, thanks again. And, uh, you know, for everyone listening, that you know, you're not going to get uh, you know, better story than than that about just the human element of what basketball officiating can do. So um, we thought we'd try to take you behind the curtain of what it was like to be there on scene. And, uh, you know, you don't get that anywhere else. And so, Tim, thanks again. Thank you, guys. Happy New Year. So, Adam, I don't, I don't even know what to say except for, wow. Um, I, I, I'm really... I'm really proud of the fact that we were able to get that interview with Tim. Um, you know, there's many other people that have asked them for interviews and they've declined, but uh, I think the relationship that we've had with Tim has really helped us. And, you know, you just hear that, and I'm really excited about that we could share this story through his eyes as the official on the game, uh, taking us on the court with them and back in the locker room and the fact that, you know, he's checking on his wife and calling his kids and just telling them that he loves them. It just... It's it's really uh, really important, but it, there's a lot of other stuff in this interview that I was really uh, excited about. I I didn't know we were going to go in certain directions, but I think some young officials could definitely 
you know, learn a lot from this interview and some of the things that Tim shared. So, Adam, I, I guess I'll ask you, you know, what are some of the things that you heard in this interview that you think would be good for our younger officials to pay attention to? Scott, you're, and I don't say this a lot, but you're correct. Um, there were a lot of things, a lot of good takeaways uh, from that interview with Tim. And one of, for me, one of the most important things for any official, but particularly young officials, need to understand coming out of that interview is don't be a yeah, but guy or a yeah, but girl. And you heard earlier in that interview how Tim had a lot of people helping him throughout the course of his career. And I know, Scott, you and I have had many people help us. And I've mentioned some of the names before, um, the Gene Harrisons, the Mickey McDades, the Maury Sharons, um, the Jim Bryants of the world who were there for me as a young official. We need, as young officials, we need to soak up what people are telling us. Um, you need to be able to take that criticism, uh, take the advice, and find what works for you. When somebody takes the time out of his or her schedule to come watch you officiate or to critique you or to watch your game film and provide you with advice and input, that you should be thankful for that, first of all. And then you need to filter through all of that information, some of which you're going to use and maybe some of which you're not going to use. But be respectful of the person who's giving you that information. Don't say, yeah, but this or yeah, but that. Because that, I can tell you now, that's the first thing. As somebody who, who's out there to help you, uh, when I hear somebody say, yeah, but, it immediately turns me off from trying to help that person. Um, so be respectful. It kind of goes along the lines of the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Um, so, Scott, I don't know if you want to add to that. Yeah, that, I, I really like what you said there, Adam. And I think there's also, that kind of takes us into um, a self-awareness. Um, first of all, we're not as good as we think we are, okay? I, I think uh, we need to really pay attention to, you know, having good self-awareness. I think, Adam, you and I talked before about just leadership in general and there's two things that make a, a good leader, and that's, first of all, is being able to be self-aware. And, you know, the second piece is to be able to reflect and be able to accept criticism and, and learn from it and then grow from it. So, um, you know, self-awareness and being able to take that information. Um, you know, there are many of us that have good friends that we referee with, and, you know, we'll go watch each other work games. And, look, if I'm asking one of my friends about, you know, what they think about this one play I had or, the specific scenario, and they're giving me feedback, if I start going in the yeah, but, then I'm not really taking that information and learning. So there's definitely going to be opportunities to, to have that dialogue with other officials, and um, I, I think it's really important from a self-awareness standpoint that we learn how to how to take that criticism. And I, I think actually this will be a good point for us to maybe go into our pet peeves because it, it will cycle right into my pet peeve. So I'll, I'll get us started, Adam. And, you know, my, my pet peeve is, you know, there are a lot of uh, resources available now that weren't available many years ago, and, and one of them is being able to watch your game on tape. And I can't tell you how many times somebody's asked me for a game video, and Adam, I had you break down a game video for an official last year, um, so you're very aware of this. And I think that a lot of times people look at the game video, and they only look at it through different colored glasses. They look at it as a way to prove that they're correct. Uh, instead of actually trying to find a way to learn from maybe a mistake or a potential opportunity that they could get better. And for me, you know, just breaking down one play at a time is, is difficult. But, you know, if, if you have a video and you send it to somebody and you say, hey, take a look at this play, um, or if you send me a video that you already know the answer to, it, it, it doesn't really help us. So I think it's really important for us as you break down game video that you pay attention to a lot of different things, but mainly positioning, uh, you know, what the flow of the game was. You know, there was a game recently where we had three no calls at one end of the court, and it was just really, really difficult uh, to justify why we didn't have a whistle. And then they, you know, you get to look at the very last play of the game, and, you know, we don't have a whistle, and they just look at that one play and say, oh, yeah, we're, we're fine. And I think you have to understand the whole flow of the game to really understand why, uh, you know, we break down video and the importance of it. So, you know, for my pet peeve, Adam, you know, I'm just going to focus on, on the fact that we need to break down video with an effort to get better, not necessarily an effort to try to prove that we're correct. So um, that, that's my pet peeve for this week. So, Adam, you want to share your pet peeve? 
Well, now I have two pet peeves because I'm going to piggyback on yours, and, and one of them is consistency. And I think what you just talked about with three no calls on one end of the floor, this kind of dovetails into the empathy part. We have to put ourselves in the position of the coaches and what they're seeing and what they are experiencing as we go through a game. And the consistency part is hard for coaches to understand and accept because a lot of times we're not consistent enough. Um, where we, we we have a no call on one end and we come down and we call a hand check in the midcourt area that really has no effect on advantage, disadvantage, but it seems to be the popular call these days. So we need to do a better job. I know the young kids these days call it cataloging. Um, I call it consistency from one end of the floor to the other amongst all three officials on the court, and we have to do a better job of situational awareness. So that's soapbox number one. Uh, soapbox number two, pet peeve number two, is officials who wait for players to go get the ball after the ball has scooted away after a whistle. And they stand there and they pretend as if they're too good to go get the ball. Um, we still have another set of eyes or two sets of eyes to watch the players. Um, if somebody does go get us the ball, um, we should do what we would expect in return and say please and thank you. Um, that common courtesy, it's a two-way street. If we want that courtesy extended towards us, then we ought to extend it towards players and coaches. But nothing drives me crazier than seeing an official stand there and just wait for somebody, particularly a player, to go get the ball. That's not their job. That's ours. If they get it for us, say thank you. That thud you just heard was me jumping off my soapbox. So uh, let's roll into story time. And, Scott, what do you got today? Well, I think keeping with the theme, you know, what's important in life, um, I got a story I'd like to share. I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, I was refereeing a basketball game at West Liberty University, and one of my partners uh, comes up to me. We were just getting ready to go out in the court, and he comes up to me and goes, hey, uh, I just want to let you know that if anything happens out there, it's in my right pocket. And I looked at him because I had no idea what he was talking about. I said, what do, you, what do you mean it's in your right pocket? And he said, my nitroglycerin. I keep it in my right pocket. You know, I've had heart issues, and if something happens out there, you need to get it out of my pocket and get it in my mouth. And it kind of just took me back to thinking, what on earth are you doing? Why would you even think about coming out on the court um, in that situation? So my guess is he did not have medical clearance, and he was just going to do it. And I started thinking about, you know, what are really, what are the important things in life? You know, um, you know, you can talk about faith and family and your friendships and you know your professional career. Um, but, you know, going out to referee a basketball game, uh, you know, should not be at the top of the list. And I think a lot of times we end up putting our families in the background as opposed to in the foreground. So I guess if I was going to share that story for any other reason, it's just that I want to make sure that we focused on the right things. You know, and, and faith and family and friendships, you know, should really be at the head of the, the, the table as opposed to the back of the table. All right. That's an awesome story, Scott. Um, it's funny. Many years ago, I was working a game out at, uh, I think it was at Broad Run. I know it was Broad Run versus Park View. Um, Larry Boomer was the coach at, at Broad Run at the time, and Ken Edwards was the longtime coach at Park View. And we were at the game, and at one point, uh, Ken Edwards came over to me during warm-ups to tell me that uh, he wasn't going to be the head coach that night because he had been in the hospital with a heart issue. Uh, the doctors told him he could come to the game, but he, he couldn't coach in his normal, excitable way, which those of you that remember Kenny Edwards, that was his only way. So he told me that his assistant coach was going to be coaching that night. And Coach Boomer from Broad Run was there, and we were all having this discussion um, about life. And it was, you know, how there were things that were more important than basketball. So as warm-ups proceed, um, I've got already gone over to the table to check the book. We've got a couple of minutes before a game, probably like two, three minutes, and, and Coach Edwards comes over to me and says, Adam, um, we, we have a problem. We made a mistake in our starting lineup, um, and I need to change uh, a player. He goes, is that a problem? Is that a technical? And I said, no, nah, Kenny, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. So I went over to Coach Boomer, and I said to him the following. I said, you know, that's it really is something that went on with Kenny, and it really does put this, this game of basketball in perspective, doesn't it? And he goes, yeah, absolutely. And I said, Coach Boomer, you ever heard of the hospital rule? He goes, no, no, what's that? I said, well, if a head coach of one of the teams 
has been in the hospital within 24 hours of game time, he's entitled to one free change in his starting lineup. And he goes, oh, okay, no problem, I, I get you. And so we were able to start that game without a technical foul, um, but it was, again, that human element that comes into play and relationships with coaches that is an important part of what we do uh, as officials. Yeah, Adam, we uh, we got something in the mailbag this week. I thought uh, I didn't think we were going to get anything in the mailbag. Uh, and if you want to send us an email, please do so. You can send it to brickandbach at gmail.com. That's B-R-I-C-K-A-N-D-B-A-C-H at gmail.com. We'll also be able to find us on the Inadvertent Whistle podcast, which is the at symbol I-N-A-D-V underscore whistle. And that's on Twitter. So hopefully you'll be able to find us going through. And uh, I'm not sure when we're going to have another uh, uh, podcast. Uh, unfortunately, I will be on the shelf for a little bit, having a little surgical procedure for a, a torn biceps, but should be back uh, hopefully by mid-January for another episode. So, Hey, Scott, is that lifting too many 12-ounce curls? Uh, it might have been a 20-ounce curl. I think I'm a little stronger than 12-ounce curls. But... Um, Let's get in the mailbag though, because I I I think this is a uh, a nice uh, note we got from Coach Kurt Sporkman. Uh, we we affectionately call him Sporky. Uh, Sporky sent us an e, a, a note in a video about a game recently about Bill Naylor. Uh, Bill Naylor is a longtime official here in Cardinal Basketball Official Association. He's been uh, officiating for 40 plus years and refereed his last game on the court this past week. Um, Besides the other coaches that are all celebrating the fact that Bill's no longer working games, uh, in all seriousness, we want to congratulate Bill on a great career. Um, and you know, Adam, I, I just you got—I'm sure you have a Bill Naylor story because you have them all. I actually do have quite a few Bill Naylor stories, but I'm only going to tell one. Um, and it was always great working with with Billy. Um, and going back into the two-man days before uh, referees and. You ones were assigned. If you worked with Bill, um, he was the referee. It was always going to be that way, and as far as I was concerned, that was perfectly fine. So we're working a game. I believe it was at Stonewall Jackson, and we're in the locker room before the game, and Bill had just had some pretty major surgery uh, during that past year, um, something abdominal-related, and he was going into fairly graphic details in the locker room, and it was kind of grossing me out. Um, So we go out to the court. Billy tosses the ball up to start the game. I run down to the baseline. We have a bucket. I look up, and Bill is laying in the jump circle. I blow my whistle. I go running up. I'm thinking, oh, my God, his guts have split open. Something's going on. I lean in there. I said, Billy, are you okay? And he goes, I got kicked in the crown jewels. And so I turned to everybody, and I raised up. I said, oh, don't worry, everybody. We're all right. No big deal. And uh, we got him up, and, and we got the game going again. But it was always fun working with Billy. Congratulations on a hell of a career, Bill. And I do appreciate, from a personal perspective, everything that you've done for me over the course of, of my career. So thanks again, Bill, and best of luck to you. Adam, That that's, uh, that's definitely one for the record books to have. So I think this is probably a good time to, to end the podcast, and I'm going to let you uh, give your signature moment here. But again, uh, I hope that everyone really paid attention to what was important, the life lessons and and really what's important in life. Uh, it's not always about, you know, refereeing a game or or something on a smaller level. We need to pay attention to what's really important in life. So um, until we come out with Episode 5, I wish everybody a happy new year. And, Adam, as always, you get the last word. I would like to wish everybody a happy new year as well. And may this be the only inadvertent whistle in your day.